Always a privilege and an honor to stand behind this pulpit. Um, nobody came to hear me speak today, right? Just making sure. We're pretty heavy on the scripture, so we know uh, that's why you came here. You want the truth. You want the God-breathed word, the living word of God this morning. Amen? You got to sleep this morning? I mean, after that worship we just got on, I mean, we should be ready. I'm saying Let me pray myself out of here. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, for your truth. God, we come today expecting for a mighty move, Lord. Would you move in the hearts of each and every individual, God, as they need? Lord, would you reveal yourself to us in an undeniable way? Lord, have me decrease so that you would increase in this moment. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. We're going to get right to it. We are in the book of Joseph, week number three, I believe. We've got a few more to go. God meant it for good. Now, God meant it for good. Thus far in the book of Joseph, we can see that not too much good is happening on Joseph's behalf. Those of you who have read the Bible, don't ruin it for the rest of us. But we do know that a move of God is coming in a mighty way. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at this scripture in Genesis chapter 41. And we're going to look at it not only as history, although the Bible is most definitely a history book, but it is more than history, but certainly nothing less. Um, There are some recordings of Pharaoh's dreams that we're going to look at today, and these dreams preceded some spectacular as well as very terrible times for Egypt. And there is a much larger narrative going on in this passage that I want to speak to you guys today, that God is working to fulfill his promise. Even in the book of Joseph, even in the Old Testament, you heard me say last week that Jesus is all throughout the Bible. The Bible is referring to Jesus from the book of Genesis to the coming back in the book of Revelations. And we are seeing that God is working to fulfill his promise. Now, God, he made a promise to Adam and Eve in the garden. He cursed the ground. He banished the man and the woman from the garden. Thus, we have the proto-evangelium. The proto-evangelium, in other words, That is God's promise here. Show this picture. This is a a beautiful picture of Eve and Mary. And you see that God's promise is wrapped all in this picture. The proto-evangelium can be found in Genesis 3.15. This is referring to the first mention of the good news in the Bible. The first mention of the Savior, right? So God promises that by his seed, that by the seed of the woman, he would crush the head of the serpent. And that's what we see going on right here that yes God knew what would happen in the beginning he also has a plan for the end amen and we understand that on this side of history that that seed is Jesus Christ that that seed is the savior of the world and we understand that Jesus is also the son of Adam the son of Noah the son of Israel the son of David but most importantly the son of God and I want to look today at the promise of God the promise of God that is being traced through history, that's being traced throughout scripture, and this thread of redemption in mankind. Now, maybe at times you think, and maybe you're there right now, that God has given up on his people, where you're going through a rough time. You feel that you have been doing what God has asked you to do. You've been being obedient. You've been reading your word. You've been seeking the face of the Lord. But for some reason, it feels as though God may have forgot about you. And I know that Joseph can relate here. We've been reading 
Joseph and the story of Joseph. And up till this point, he may not have been being used by God. I don't see God working miraculously in his life. We see that God gave him a vision and that he's been thrown in a prayer. He's been sold to slavery. He's been wrongfully accused in prison. God, where are you in this story of Joseph? Now we see things, number one, way too much from a human perspective. I don't want to serve a God that I can understand, but God has given me perfect word for me to gain truth, for me to gain understanding of who he is, why he does what he does, what his characteristics and attributes are. I can learn right here in the word of God, not through my feelings, not through something that I read on the internet, but in his word, nothing less, nothing more. This will be where I figure out who God is and why he's doing what he's doing. Amen. So we see it so much from a human perspective that this thread of redemption may to you and I look severed in our lives where we see gaps and holes where, where God may not be working. We feel that God is not in this, but we know that, that for God, this, this thread of redemption is fully intact. What may seem severed to us at times where we may feel lonely or God is not working, God is saying, this is exactly my plan, that this is fully intact. Now we're going to look at some of the details of God's perfect plan today. Those details of God's perfect plan that we see lived out here in Joseph's life. And if you're taking notes this morning, or if this is the last time that I'm going to have your attention, please know this, hear this, listen to this, that God's plan is always 100% of the time in order on time and precisely carried out. We may think that God is late. We may think that God has made a mistake. We may think that things are not in order because to you and I, it seems as they are not. And God's plan is being carried out exactly how it should. Sometimes we don't like that. Sometimes we don't agree with that. But when I really think about it, when I really look to his word, what a comfort that is. What a comfort that is that God is not overcoming my mistakes. He is not overcoming your shortcomings. It is happening exactly how he had ordained it. And we're going to look at this through three different sections. When we look at Genesis chapter 41, we see Joseph is remembered. We see that he is tested. And then we see that he is elevated. Now, we're not reading uh, chapter 40, so I'll give you a quick a little glimpse of what that was looking like. Joseph, last time uh, we left off, he was in Potiphar's house. He's wrongly accused, wrongly imprisoned. And in prison, he interprets the dreams of the head butler and the head baker. And after the favorable interpretation of the head butler or the cup bearer, Joseph, Joseph says to him this in Genesis chapter 40, verse 14, he says, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Now, we fast forward to Genesis 41, verse 1. It says, After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. So we see now that Joseph is forgotten. A man who he helped, a man who, who had a dream, it troubled him. Another man's dream also troubled him. And he, he gave him the interpretation of this dream, which ended up coming true. And that man was very, very thankful for the burden that he lifted from his shoulders, wondering what it was going to happen to him. But he was restored back to his position. So he was forever grateful to Joseph. But yet he forgot Joseph, the one who he helped, the one who he 
should have remembered forgot him. Now Joseph was shipped off by his brothers at the age of 17. And now where we're picking up, we're going to read in just a little bit that Joseph is now 30 years old, enslaved for the last 13 years. Now maybe some of you guys can can relate with this. Maybe God, you have a God dream. You have a word from God. I, I want to tell you this morning, hold on to that. Sometimes it could be 13 years before something comes to pass. We see here that we may not think God is working. We may not see God working, but God is most definitely working. What were those two years like? What were those 13 years like for Joseph? Do we think that Joseph was some type of Superman that he was like, hey man, it's it's, all, it's cool. It's all good. Just you come back and get me when you want to. God, no, I don't believe that's the truth. I believe that Joseph was much like you and I, that he didn't say, yeah, go ahead, leave me here as long as you want. No, I believe that he was probably a, a, a very discouraged. He was going through lots of discouragement, lots of depression in those two years. Have you as yourself and in your life and your group of friends and the people that you care about, have you ever felt forgotten by people who you have helped, people that you've been there for, individuals who you have supported? It is a terrible feeling to feel forgotten or as if people have forgot you. But what a much worse feeling when you think that God has forgotten you, that you feel that God has forgotten you, that Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're, you're in a time of suffering. Maybe you're in a time of pain or loss or loneliness where you feel, God, where are you in this situation? God, you have forgotten me. God, I've tried to be obedient. God, even in the pit, even in the trial, I come to church and I worship and I give praise. But God, where are you? I feel like you are not working in my life. You're not working in my situation. You're not working in, in my hurts and in my pain. Yet there's no indication that in Joseph's life that he was ever going to give up. He never said, Lord, I'll give you one more year. Or, Lord, I'll give you six months. And if you come in the next two months, then Lord, I'm going to obey you. And I'm going to believe there's no expiration date on his expectation for God. Genesis 41, 2 through 13. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blightened by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled and he sent and called for all of the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Now you got to imagine. So an equivalent of this would be like the president of the United States reaching out to all the pastors in America saying, all of the pastors, I'm troubled. I have something going on. This is a man of great pride and power. Imagine how powerful that moment would be. Now here in the Bible, it's using magicians, which is like more of a dark magic, a pagan type of deal. We're not going to get into that, but, but imagine the power in that. Imagine even the humility Pharaoh having to go, wow, this troubles me so much that it's going to move me to seek counsel. Verse nine says, then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. So here he remembers Joseph. He says, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in the, and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of guard, he dreamed 
We dreamed on the same night, he and I each having a dream with his own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When he told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. Notice here the same exact thing that got Joseph in the pit, the dreaming and the interpretation and saying, hey, to his brothers, this is what God's going to do in my life. The very same thing that got Joseph in the pit was the very thing that brought Joseph out of the pit. And when he had had shaved him and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph replies like this. Joseph answers to Pharaoh. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Now, Joseph goes on. Uh, Pharaoh goes on to tell Joseph the dream. We already read the dream. So here's the response in verse 25, Genesis 41, 25. It says, when Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh are the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. No one on earth knew what it was that God was about to do. Nobody knew, but God knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew exactly when he would do it. God has placed Joseph in this prison for such a time like this at the very right time in just the right era in order to use Joseph to bring, to be the man that was going to tell the people what it is that God was going to do. Psalm 33 verse 11 says this, that the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We have all these decisions we want to make. We have all these beliefs we have, these, these agendas. But yet, it doesn't matter what it is that we want to do. It doesn't matter how hard we try, what is going to come forth. But it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Now, we think about that, and we're like, there is no plan. There's no plan in the midst of my pain and my hurt and my suffering. It seems that there is no plan in the midst of this chaos. The world seems as if it is madness, but the plan of the Lord is not being accomplished despite the chaos, but the plan of the Lord is being accomplished through the chaos. God is not working around it. He is working directly in the midst and in the middle of it. And there is no lack of chaos in each and every one of our lives. It may not be in your immediate family, but there is somewhere that you can think that there is something going on right now, some type of madness or chaos that you say, I do not have a grip on this. I feel like I am out of control. Genesis 41, 26 to 38 says this, that the seven good cows are seven years and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears, blinded by the east wind, are also seven years of famine. 
It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine that God was going to show you what he was going to do in the next five hours or even the next five days, five months, five years, 10 years? Could you imagine? We wouldn't be able to imagine. We would marvel at it in the midst of the tears of in, in we, my, me and my wife not having a baby on our time schedule when we wanted it, but God knew exactly when it it was going to be proper and the right time for my life and that when things were going to be aligned according to his plan and not mine. If you would have told me that when I was a youth minister back in Richmond, Virginia, 12 years ago when Fernando was in my youth group, that today, 12 years later, he'd be leading worship and I'd be preaching. I would marvel. I wouldn't believe it so often. So many of the things that you have gone through, that God has brought you through, not the things that you've accomplished as a man, but the things that the Spirit of God has worked in and through you to do, you would marvel. You'd say that would never happen. But we look back on our life and on our testimony. We said, God has been faithful. The word has been true. Not anything that I have done, but due to the merit of Jesus Christ. Verse 29, there will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow for it will be very severe. The word severe here in the Hebrew means very heavy very heavy, like a mountain of weight upon the people. Something that we cannot hold up by ourselves. Something that we would need a savior for. But a country, this is, this is not so much about wheat and cows. This is about a promise of God being fulfilled. This is about a country that is about to undergo severe oppression, both physically, financially, spiritually, and the doubting of Pharaoh's dream, verse 32. And the doubting of Pharaoh's dream means the doubling, sorry, the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and that God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. A discerning and wise man would not be Joseph, the man on the scene at the time. It would not be a young Hebrew boy. It most certainly would not be a young slave. But not only is he interpreting the dreams of the most powerful man in the world, he is now also advising just as much God's plan that he would be in prison so that he could take on this position so that he could advise just as much in the greatness of your life, your highest highs. God is involved just as much in the lowest of lows. A Hebrew slave, a prisoner. Verse 34, let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. So here, Joseph has been remembered now. Joseph's been tested. And through his testing, he's now been proven. Now, Joseph's life has just done a complete 360. Joseph, for the last 13 years, has been wrongfully accused. He's been enslaved. He's been hated as a youth, sold as a slave. 
He's been wrongfully imprisoned, forgotten by people that he helped. Now his life is starting to turn around. Verse 37. The proposal, the proposal pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants. And the Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? So even Pharaoh, not a believer, could see and could witness the work of the Holy Spirit in a man, saying that this man is set apart, that this man is different. And so did each and every person before him. So did Potiphar. So did the guard in the prison. In the, in the worst times of Joseph's life, when he was down and out, Joseph wasn't out there complaining. He wasn't cursing God. People seen the Holy Spirit. They witnessed the Holy Spirit move in Joseph's life upon Joseph in a mighty way, where people who didn't even believe recognized it and said, wow, church, I hope that that can be us. Maybe you're like me and you're just complaining. Woe is me. This, that, third. That's why we have this word this morning. This gives us reason to praise God's glory is among us and he is doing a mighty work in you no matter where you are in your journey. Psalm 139.7 says, where shall, David says here, he says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? Now here David goes on to list his highest highs and his lowest lows and says, wherever it is that I go, Lord, you are with me. Now we find ourselves, both you and I, in many different places, many different pits, struggles, hurts, pains. And we wonder, where are you in this, God? God, where are you in the midst of this? I'm doing this for you, God. I even feel that you told me to do this, but I'm not feeling you. I'm not seeing you. God, where are you in this? I'm here to tell you that God is right where he has always been, and that is with you. Even more so if you have faith in Jesus. That means that God is with you. If you don't believe in Jesus, this is your first time at church, you're wondering what the heck's going on. God is with you. Now, if you have accepted Jesus into your heart, God is not only with you, my friend, he is within you because of the merits of Jesus Christ, because he chose you. He said, I want this for your life. Romans 8, 35 to 39 says this, pay attention here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I get a two-second praise break right there? That's not me. That's the Lord. Y'all still sleeping, okay. Y'all don't like me. Where is God? Where is God in the midst of my persecution? Where is God in the midst of my trial? Where is God in the midst of the famine? He is bringing an answer because there's nothing that will separate you from his love. There is nothing that will separate even me from God's love. Genesis 41, 39 to 52. 
Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zapaneth, Panea, and he gave him marriage. I just, I, forgive me for <laughs> Aseneth, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. So Joseph sent out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During his seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Verse 50, before the year of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Aseneth, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, which means to forget. He said, God has made me forget all my hardships and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, which means to be fruitful. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Joseph is saying here that God has blessed me so much in my latter days. He's blessed me so much after the fact that I can't even remember the sorrows of the early years, that I cannot remember the sufferings, that I cannot remember the pain, the trials, and the tribulations. That he has blessed me so much now that I can't remember, I can't feel, I can't even recall anything but the goodness of God. But there are people in this room, I'm sure, and in this world, and in this community, and in my life, and in your life, there are people who live complete lives of suffering in this lifetime. There are people who are born with disease and illness. There are people... Many of us called to suffering, all of us called to suffer at one point and in one season or maybe our whole entire lives. And, and these people and maybe you, are, you're never elevated to second in command and, and, and they've never been given a wife or never been given a child. They've never experienced that thing that they long for so much, the, the experience that they want to have, that thing that they have been praying for their entire life. For some who are suffering, things may get a little bit better at some point, but not so much that way they would forget all of the hurt, all of the things that happened before their encounter. 
Now, church, wouldn't it be nice to have the blessings of the Lord poured out on you in such abundance that you would not remember ever being hurt or ever going through difficulty? Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that 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 is actually the promise of God on your life. That that is a promise of God on my life. That that is what he has, what he wants, and what he will do for you. Romans 8, 18 and 19 says this. That for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. When God's kingdom comes, church, when Christ returns, when he takes over once again, we will be changed in an instance. In the twinkle of an eye, we will change, but something else will also change. Our perspective will be shifted. Our perspective will change on all of our suffering, on everything that we have gone through. We will now have an understanding And Paul writes that in the book of Romans. He writes that and he invites us in the middle of our struggle, in the middle of our trial, to have victorious perspective. This plan started way back in the book of Genesis where he made this promise. And it ends all the way at the end of Revelation. We know the story. We know that... uh, that the John 16, it says that we will have trials, that we will have tribulation, that we will go through tough times, but to take heart, to take cheer, for I have overcome the world. Our perspective is based off of what we believe. You can believe the Bible all that you want, but if you believe that it's true, you will be able to shift your perspective to an understanding of God's perspective and not yours, not what you feel, not what you think, not what you're experiencing, but what actually is in the truth of God. All these things in life, all these hurts, all these pains, all these things that are hard, it says do not even compare them to what God is going to do in you, for you, and through you. In the kingdom, when he reveals his glory. Wow. You know, the world is the world. So church, don't be surprised. Don't even get upset when the world acts like the world. That is why God sent a Savior. He knew it. It's no surprise to him what you're going to be go through. It's no surprise to him that he called you in the situation you're in now. Genesis 41, 53 to 57 The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all of the land. So to look back now with our vantage point, we can see that God, he divinely sovereignly orchestrated the sale of Joseph into slavery, the suffering of Egypt 
in the famine, that this was God orchestrated. And do you know why? Do you know why God would do that? Well, I thought God was good. I thought things were for our good. Why would God do that? So that he could fulfill his covenant promise. He could fulfill the covenant promise he made to preserve Jacob, who was named Israel, son of Isaac, son of Abraham. Because why? Because God promised to give Abraham descendants, descendants who would number the sand in the sea. God is a keeper of his promises. And here we have Israel in the land of his sojournings. Individuals are hungry and they're dying. So they're going to be sent to Joseph because why? Because God had prepared a savior for Israel before they ever knew they needed a savior. Just as God has done for his people today, he has provided a savior and his name is Jesus Christ for a people that did not know they'd need a savior. Let me leave you with this this morning, that God's perfect plan God's perfect plan ensures that his servants will arrive exactly where he wants them to. That you and I will arrive exactly where he wants us to. That you are right where God wants you until he moves you. That you are experiencing what he has for you. Your experience may not feel good. Your experience may feel busy. It may feel stressed. It may feel anxious. God is with you in the midst of that. He is working in the middle of he is refining you. He is preparing you. That we get nervous and we get anxious about that. But God's perfect plan, it also ensures that his servants will transition exactly when he wants them to. His servants will transition exactly when you and I will transition from here to our next place exactly when he wants us to. That God's perfect plan ensures that his servants will receive exactly what he wants them to. Why? Well, number one, it's always going to be, the question of why is always, always going to be for the glory of God, for his own glory. But there's a secondary thing too. Number one is for God's glory. Number two is for your good. And some of you may be like, man, I don't know. That doesn't sound good to me. That doesn't make sense. Fernando gets to lead worship. He just got out of college. I know people who have been trying to lead worship at a church for 15 years can't get a job. This is God ordained. This is God's plan. Romans 8, 28 says this. And that when we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good. For those who are called according to his purpose. We all know this verse, but the most important part about this verse is not according to my plan, is not according to how hard I work, is not according to how much I deserve, is not according to why is my kid going through this, they don't deserve this, why am I going through this, why am I doing this to people that I love? No, this is all according to his purpose. God's purpose, God's plan, not my thoughts, not my actions, not what I feel. Where you are, church, when you are there and what you have while you're there is all for your good. Not for your disadvantage, but for your ultimate advantage. And I'm really going to leave you with this this time. 
Very last thing, band, you guys can come on up and get ready to lead us out. Isaiah chapter 46, verses 8 through 10 says this. That remember this and stand firm. Church, stand firm on something. Younger people need to see you stand firm, not waver with your beliefs. If your belief is in the Bible and you don't like what it says because something happened in culture and society, tough luck. Stand on something or nobody's going to ever believe what it is that you're believing. If it's a new flavor every week, every 10 years, every decade, stand firm on something, please, church. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors, you sinners. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. It's already been declared. No surprises. And from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying that my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all of my purpose. That means that everything is part of his purpose. Church, this here gives us reason to worship this morning. Amen? Let's worship the Lord.